Welcome back to a new episode of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Floyd. That is my guy, Daniel Galvan. Of course, we're here to talk about everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts. We appreciate you taking time out of your day to download, listen to this episode of the podcast, whether you listen to us on the podcasting platforms or if you might be checking us out there over on YouTube. Of course, a great way to show your support for the program. Uh, if you leave a rating or review on the podcasting platforms, also uh, be sure to hit that thumbs up button if you're watching us over here on YouTube. Daniel, happy uh, Tuesday morning. How you doing, man? Man, it's always a great Tuesday morning. It's also a really great Tuesday morning when we could talk about a pay-per-view that delivered. And it wasn't just the UFC. If you were a fan of Bellator, Japanese mixed martial arts, and you checked out that Ryzen card, man, you also got a whole lot of crazy moments. But I think this whole weekend is going to be kind of remembered for all of the great and sometimes surprising knockouts we saw. And also, um, if you're a combat sports fan, you like the whole picture a little Terrence Crawford kicking Errol Spence's ass, too, on Saturday. I saw that one. Yeah, that, that was absolutely crazy. Of course, along with talking about those cards, we'll talk about Saturday's UFC Nashville card. Of course, going to be headlined by Corey Sanhagen. Taking on Rob Font. Also, the PFL playoffs kickoff on Friday night with the light heavyweights and featherweights. We'll talk about that. As well, of course, uh, Daniel, I, I did, uh, you know, I'm, I'm over there on Instagram, and uh, I, I see the fam came out to uh, watch you perform this past weekend. Yeah, man, it was a hometown show. I had the family, which was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I, I did lose this week, did have to submit, but uh, overall it was a good match. And I got to say, as a wrestler, it's always great to have your family out there, although it's kind of cheating because, like, you know, as a performer, you go out there and you want to get the crowd to cheer for you. But if it's mom and dad, I mean, they're going to do it regardless. So, yeah, it was nice, but, uh, you know. This upcoming week, I'm heading up to Laredo, so it's going to be all strangers. So it's going to be up to me to kind of prove it to myself that I can get the crowd behind me, bro. You know, I'm watching that much this video, and you know, one of the things I'm thinking about as I'm watching you wrestle is like, you live in South Texas. These shows are outside. I know what it's like here in, in Central Florida. I gotta imagine, man, that's a little, that's a little spicy out there. Oh, yeah, it's incredibly hot. We're talking 100 degrees. And realistically, the biggest issue is just getting dehydrated. So, like, if you're a pro wrestler, especially at the independent level, it's a, it's a traveling circus. You show up three, four hours before the show, and you help put up the ring, every single piece of the ring. That's tiring. So we, we did that. And uh, I did not bring water. I brought one water, and that went all the way out. And I was dehydrated before my match, so I literally had to walk across the street to churches and get two big cups of water from churches and, and drink that because you need to get hydrated because uh, one of my first matches, um, I went out. I, I feel like I may have said this before, but I went out. I made my entrance. Before the before the match even started, I already had cotton mouth. And that's a sign of dehydration, right? The adrenaline gets out of you, so if you're – you need to get hydrated. Like I now have a thing where I just drink water and I pound it. No matter, even if I have to pee every five minutes. I do not want to get caught in mouth before I even start wrestling because that is a terrifying feeling. But uh, yes, Jason, it's incredibly hot. And um, there's a couple rings I wrestle in outside and they have black canvases. So that is also painful. Oof, yeah. 
I, I remember back in the day when Bellator was doing those Monster Energy events outside, and you would talk to the fires, and they'd be like, yeah, that mat was blistering hot. And they realized, like, yeah, we got to do these shows at night or very early on in the day. Otherwise, it's going to be bad. But, uh, you know, I went out for UFC 291 this past Saturday night. And so the, the place I've been at, I've been at for the last three pay-per-views. It's kind of interesting to kind of see how the crowd has developed. And, you know, UFC 289, it was not a great crowd. UFC 290 was a really good crowd. And for this past Saturday, UFC 291, I mean, it was wall-to-wall people. And, you know, one of the best things about going out and watching a UFC pay-per-view is hearing how people interact, especially when you hear the people who truly do not like the ground aspect of this of this sport. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the most casual take ever. It's like most casual fans just love the rock'em, sock'em robots. Any Hoist Gracie uh, is no longer appreciated in the year 2023. So I was like, oh, why are you taking him down? But hey, you know, there could be some fun ground stuff, you casual fan. Get your edumacation. Um I think that's interesting that UFC 291 drew out that big crowd, but it speaks to how big um, Gaethje and Poirier are and how also, in addition to being stars, I think what helps is fans know when they pay a ticket or, or they go and drive to a bar to watch a show, when Justin and Dustin are fighting, it's going to be awesome. They know it's going to be a freaking barn burner versus maybe some of these other stars where it's more up in the air whether or not they're going to deliver a fight that's worth their time and attention. Justin and Dustin, I mean, they're two of the best lightweights of all time, but they're also two of the most fun fighters we've ever seen fight in this cage. It also is another example of where you have this amazing knockout performance by Justin Gaethje, but who gets all the headlines? Conor McGregor. No matter what, this guy finds a way to put himself in the headlines, and I love what Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier are both saying. Pass a drug test. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um, You have to protect your career. This is their career, and you can't go in there with somebody that everyone assumes is juicing and allow him to put you down. So I, I, I definitely advocate what they're saying. And it is a shame because Justin literally just got like the craziest win of his entire career. Like not only did he beat Dustin Poirier, but the way he did it. And by the way, hat tip to the UFC production crew. Their ability to, in such a quick manner, pull up the Leon Edwards head kick knockout and play it at the same time as Justin Gaethje, that's incredibly impressive. I feel like that was a four-minute turnaround. And, and how they got that done is beyond me. And whoever picked up on the fact that it was in Utah a year ago, basically, when Leon got the head kick knockout with the other foot, they're a savant. But that was a phenomenal production presentation. And you're talking about Trevor Whitman involved in both fights. First time he's on the losing side. This time he's on the winning side. Yeah, yeah, man. That is so true. That is so true. Wow. And, you know, Justin, if you believe him, he said that's not something he worked on that much. Uh, but, man, it was um, – and round one was close. It wasn't like it was the Justin Gaethje domination show. It, it was back and forth, as is the case. And you got to think we're probably going to get a third fight at some point in time. Right? I mean, I think, I think it's in the books that if Justin goes out there and fights for the lightweight championship and loses and, and Dustin maybe gets another win – 
these two might meet each other one more time. Or maybe when one of these guys wants to say sayonara to the sport, they would be the perfect final opponent for each other. No doubt. Something I want to mention about the Connor thing, and this was a Dustin Poirier quote yesterday on the MA Hour about Connor. He says, quote, he needs to pass a drug test. That's what he needs to do. He needs to pass a drug test. And if we change the rules for him to complete some sell, some sell some pay-per-views, we make a mockery of all this they put in place. And I thought that was a really interesting quote there uh, from Dustin Poirier. And of course, we'll, we'll see how that kind of the thing plays out here. And uh, one of the comments I heard, you know, following this event about Justin Gaethje and, you know, Gaethje, there, there's this perception about him about once the fight's over, he he's not that guy that's, you know, right back in the training room, takes some time off. And I heard Kenny Florian bring up this point. And, you know, look, the, the reality is Gaethje's next fight will be for the UFC lightweight title. He'll take on the winner, Islam Hachev and Charles Oliveira. I think a lot of us believe Islam Hachev will retain his title in October. And Kenny made the point that if you're Justin Gaethje, the next two, three months should be nothing but grappling work. Yeah, because if he stands with Islam, he's got a chance to win this championship. Mm-hmm. Yep. If he keeps the fight standing, he has a chance to win. You know, look at Alice Pereira against John on the co-main event. Yep. It wasn't a complete shutout, but he damn near did a great job with defensive wrestling and allowed it to be the type of fight where he could win this fight. You know, Justin talked a lot about how it was all about luck, you know, at this level. And it really is. You pick the top five to six lightweights and you mix and match them, you're probably going to have one guy win six times, one guy win four. It's pretty random. Put Oliveira against Poirier, you're going to have various results. I think the one guy where it's like you're going to have consistently this guy's going to win all the time is Islam Mahachev. You put him up against Justin ten times. I really think Islam's going to win like eight times because he has the clear-cut skill set to eliminate opponents. But you're right, Jason. If Justin wants to win that championship – He's already got to anticipate Islam's going to beat Charles because Justin tomorrow can step in there with Charles and probably beat him. Charles can probably beat Justin. I think those two are even, and, and we've already seen those two collide. Against Mahachev, that is a mountain that he's going to have to climb. And he, it would be it would be amazing if he's able to, but I, I just – I don't think so. It, it, Islam's a different beast. Yeah, I mean, interesting, you know, just looking at the, the UFC lightweight rankings and you know, we'll see how this thing plays out. Obviously, Gaethje would be next. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with Chandler. I, I kind of feel bad for Michael, the, the the kind of position that he's in at this point. But, like, I look at Dustin Poirier and saying he wants to stay at 55. I think the matchup that sticks out to me, and I don't I don't think he's booked for a fight currently, but I would book um, Poirier against Rafael Fiziev. Yeah, I think that's a great fight. That's a tough fight for Raphael because you go from Gaethje to Dustin. Um, that's a murderer's row, right? Like you're looking to maybe uh, actually Fiziev is booked. He's booked in September against Matisse Gamrot. Damn, that's a tough fight. That's a tough fight. I mean, I, I like him to win, but Gamrot's going to go out there and and wrestle with him a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, so you you look at the. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Dustin. He's never fought um, Dariush Dariush before. And I think that's probably the dancing partner that is, that is there to, for him it is, is Benil Dariush and, and for, or you could even, yeah, yeah. I think that's it, man. I mean, he's really fought everybody, right? He's fought everybody except Mahachev. 
And obviously that fight's not happening next unless Islam loses to Oliveira. But if Islam loses to Oliveira, we might get a trilogy fight there. So honestly, Darius is the dancing partner there. But then you look at Michael Chandler and you're like, damn, Michael, what the hell are you going to do with this Connor fight doesn't materialize? Man, I, you know, I feel for him. I feel for him if, if you know, this thing doesn't come together and, it's just one of these things of every time I see Connor tweet something after a lightweight fight, I just go, what are we doing here? Like, it's one of those things of what is happening behind the scenes Not and, and take the USADA aspect out of all of this. What's happening behind the scenes when it's a conversation between Team McGregor and Dana White slash Hunter Campbell. That to me is the interesting part of this because it's it's very evident to me we're not going to see Conor McGregor in 2023. His manager Audiotar essentially brought that to to the light um, in an interview recently, and I would expect that. I think your December pay review is probably headlined by Yuri and Alex. You know, we talked about it last week on the podcast of if you the the ideal scenario for the UFC was for Alex to get this win here against Jan Blachowicz. Personally, when they they said your winner via split decision, Alex Perea, I, I was I was surprised. I I I didn't think I didn't think he won the fight. I got I may have been biased because I knew the result of this fight when I watched it the day after. Yeah. So maybe I watched it through the glasses of thinking like, oh, well, he's winning round three over here. Because um, it was close. Like these, there was a couple of these rounds were close. And maybe since I knew he'd won the decision, my brain had just accepted that he was winning these rounds. But upon reflection, I got to say these rounds were close. There wasn't a lot of separation with the stand-up throughout. I mean, Alex to me was a clear better stand-up fighter. Um, there was one round where he clearly won. To me, there was one round where Jan clearly won. And I believe it's the third round that played out very close in my mind. Um, but, yeah, I it, it's not a fight where I'm, like, super excited to see him fight for the light heavyweight championship. But also, Jan is a former light heavyweight champion. This is Alex's first time in the weight class. And he has enough reputation that he probably deserves that fight against Yuri. But it wasn't one of those deals where he just got that crazy knockout and it's like Alex is going to dominate 205. You know, he's already talking about moving back down to fight Izzy for a third time. I, you see him in the cage and you go, how the hell did this guy make 185? Yeah, he, it's stunning. I mean, he he looked like he belonged there at 205. He is such a huge dude. And I think if he continues to fight at 205, I think his weight's probably going to slip up and up and up. And it's going to actually be really hard to get back down to, to 185. But, uh, yeah, overall, it, it wasn't an A-plus effort out of Alex. But it was B-plus because he still went out there and beat Jan. And the most important thing was his defensive wrestling. Mm-hmm. Jan tested it throughout. And Alex successfully showed that grappling with Glover paid off and paid off in dividends. And there's a good chance that Pereira is going to be the the light heavyweight champion when he takes on Yuri. I mean, what a welcome back from injury. Alex Powhatan. Yeah, I mean, you think about this. There has been two fights. or Excuse me. Prior to 2018, Jan Blachowicz had only landed multiple takedowns in two fights. One was against Izzy, 
other was against, obviously, against Alex here. You have to go back to 2017 when he landed four takedowns against Jared Cannier. But I feel like that's a situation where he's just not even trying to wrestle, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean you, you yeah, you look at it since since 2018, one takedown against Jimmy Manawa, one takedown against Nikita Krylov, then uh, then the three takedowns against Izzy, and now the three takedowns against Jan or against Alex. Yeah, yeah. The the other thing was you know that Polish power. I mean, it played out, but Alex, oof. yeah. I, I think the kicks were just to me the biggest takeaway from Alex's offensive arsenal. Is he just made he just made Jan's leg look awful? That big old lump on his left leg. I mean, yeah. Pereira to me was was solid and you know, he wasn't one of the stars coming out of UFC two ninety one. I feel like there were some star making performances, some great moments, some people getting undressed. Uh, <laughs> dude, dude, the bar I was at just went absolutely crazy. <laughs> like I mean I mean, first off, he just comes out, you know, lands that knee. And and of course, you know, the end comes, you know, you know, with thirty three seconds there in the first round and takes his shorts off, does a DX chop, a great post fight interview. And, you know, I, I understand why Derek Lewis wants to return to the UFC. Derek, man. There's potentially a massive payday sitting out there. There's potentially a massive payday. Like how do you not sit out this exclusive negotiating period to see what the PFL offers you to fight Francis Ngannou. Like, if you're PFL, at this point, Derek Lewis has to be your number one option. Please don't tell me it's Fabricio Verdun. Please don't tell me that's your number one option. There really isn't a number two option, really. Like, you look at Derek Lewis and you contrast him with who is the second most marketable heavyweight that the PFL can put in there with Francis right now. Dude, there is a big gap from what Derek Lewis brings as an intriguing opponent versus literally anybody else. So, yes, I think Derek is the perfect example of why having a rival MMA promotion is great because there will be a, a bidding war for Derek Lewis. I mean, I don't know how big of a bid the UFC is going to put in because the UFC seems like they're okay with losing basically anybody other than John Jones and Conor McGregor. So they may not put a massive bid in, but the PFL is going to offer him a, a, a beautiful deal, and he needs to take it um, because it, the time is running out on his career, and it's time to cash in. This was a beautiful moment, bro. I didn't think we were going to get this out of Derek Lewis anymore. No. I thought we were riding him off. The man comes out and does a flying knee like he's Jorge Masvidal. Dude, has he, that, he had abs. Yeah, I mean, he looked—he looked in the best shape of his. You know, we've seen him in the UFC, but like, here's—I mean, like, look at the end of the day, this is the prize fighting business, and you got to try to get the most money. But like, as I look at the UFC heavyweight rankings, and Derek Lewis right now is ranked number ten, it's like, how many guys would you favor Derek Lewis against that are that are ranked above him? So ranked above him, Jolson Almeida, Alexander Volkov, Sergey Spivak, Ty Tuivasa. Curtis Blades, Tom Asinall, Stipe Miocic, Surreal Gone, Sergey Pavlovich, and of course the champion John Jones. I mean, Volkov, yes. That's it. I mean, it. like, I feel. I mean, like, there's just there's a lot of matches. Or I just think he'd be a massive underdog. Jolson, I think he'd be a massive underdog. Um, you know, Blades, we know what he can do with the wrestling. I think he he'll be underdog to. to 
Everyone, everyone in the top five, he's an underdog too. And, and that's where, like, I think if you are Derek Lewis and, and his management, this is where you guys see what is a PFL willing to offer you. And obviously, you know, there could be the Francis fight. But what else are going to be offer you? I mean, go get go get paid right now. But I am sure the UFC is going to do whatever they can to make sure Derek Lewis doesn't get to the PFL. Yeah, because he does provide something that gives the PFL a sellable fight. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest problem PFL has with Francis is they don't have a fight that they can go and sell, get people interested in. Lewis and Ngannou, it's not the greatest fight in the world, but it's at least a pretty sellable fight. Yeah, Lewis is a legitimate top 10 heavyweight in the world right now. No, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that with him, you were totally right. What's he going to do? Resign with the UFC and just fight these top 10 dudes, drop two fights and retire? Jason, he's going to make more money in one fight with Francis mm-hmm. than he make the rest of his UFC career combined. That is what I believe. Now, look, I, I I will say this, and we're going to talk about Bellator later. If PFL does acquire Bellator, and Don Davis is hinting at a major announcement come August, there's a lot of rumors out there. I mean, obviously, people are speculating about the PFL. Ryan Bader is going to be a potentially interesting option for Francis Ngannou if that acquisition were to happen. So if I'm contrasting Lewis and Bader, I think as a hardcore mixed martial arts fan, I would say Bader's a more interesting fight to watch. But as a casual fan, which one's more marketable? Derek Lewis is the more marketable fight to put on. Oh, no doubt. I mean, dude, there's people who know Derek Lewis who aren't even MMA fans because of his Instagram profile. I guarantee you Derek Lewis probably has like 10 times more followers than Ryan Bader on Instagram. Uh, not that we should decide. Not that we should decide fights on who has the most Instagram followers, but uh, I mean, yeah, you look at Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis has two point two million followers on Instagram. Ryan Bader has one hundred and thirty nine thousand. <laughs> That's a little bit of a difference. That's a little bit of a difference. I, yeah, I think that might be. He has five percent. I think Derek is. I think Ryan has five percent of. Derek's followers. Not that again, not that it should matter. Who you know, you shouldn't be getting but championship it, opportunities, but if you're on Instagram. If you're Peter Murray, you're Don Davis, you'd much rather put Derek Lewis in there because you know, you're you're looking to sell pay-per-views. I mean that, that's that's very clear uh with them. And so uh we'll see what happens there. You know, by the way, uh if I would have told you last last week when we recorded this podcast, hey, by the way, Bobby Green's gonna win via submission in the third round. That would be surprising, man. I, I, I wouldn't think he would bust out his chops, but he had to bust out that arm triangle. That was a shocker. Dude, honestly, like I felt like Tony looked all right in this fight. He fought at a level where I'm like, oh, he could probably beat some of the lower-level UFC fighters. He didn't look completely washed, but he also didn't look like prime Tony. The speed wasn't very impressive, and, and Bobby was able to kind of outpiece him throughout, even though Ferguson had his moment. So it, it's just a deal where Tony is just, unfortunately, it, it's like so many others, man. It's father time. It had been 10 years since Bobby Green won via submission. Wow. he had, Was that even in the UFC? It was. It was against Jacob Volkman. 
Oh, I didn't know if that was in the UFC or if that was on Bully Beatdown. That is crazy. It, was, it would have been his first fight in the UFC. And, I mean, look, you know, leading into this fight, some of the things that Tony Ferguson was saying, I was just like, good Lord, this guy's delusional. Like, and I saw a stat. I don't know if it was during the fight or after the fight. In the last 19 rounds, Tony Ferguson has only won two rounds. Like, there, I hope there is someone... And, you know, Tony is coming out and, and he's talking about how the eye poke, uh, you know, had a massive role in it. And, of course, Rafael Dos Anjos goes, yeah, I know what you mean when you poke me in the eye. And I just hope there's someone around Tony that can truly have an honest conversation with him of things. have got, You know, if, if, and I don't see Tony going to retire. I mean, there's people who are calling for him to retire. I don't think it happens. I, I think this guy is going to fight until the wheels fall off, no matter what that promotion is. But I would be relatively surprised if his next fight's in the UFC. Yeah, at this point, I think Tony just needs to change his competition level. Maybe go ahead and enter the next PFL lightweight tournament. You know, But, I mean, I wouldn't like his chances against... Oliver Aubin Mercier, but I I will tell you, I would enjoy watching a Tony Ferguson and Clay Collar fight. I mean, I think those two would stand in trade and it would be fun. Because, like, again, when I look at Tony fight Bobby, it's not like he's a complete and former shell of a former self. He still looks halfway but, decent. It's just like you remember him as the guy who was competitive with Habib as the best lightweight in the world. And it's just like you're it, – it's just a different guy. But when you're flopping to your back in the third round, it's just not a good look. Yeah, yeah. Round three was pretty rough. Rounds one and two were halfway decent, but, but three. As I'm watching the fight, there's never a point where I'm thinking Tony's going to win this fight. I never had that thought process. I could be wrong, but I felt like after round one, I was like, it's possible to win a decision here. But I could be could be wrong there. I mean, there were moments on the feet where I, I liked what he was putting out there and the output out of Bobby wasn't crazy. But it, it, the speed was the difference. The, the output and the accuracy was the difference. And again, if you can't clearly beat Bobby Green – Bobby's talented, but that's a, that's a guy you need to beat if you have any ambition of becoming a lightweight champion. And again, you look at the fact that he's only won two two rounds in such a period of time. The fact that he's lost six straight UFC fights, even if they're against the best of the best, like Gaethje, Oliveira, Darius, and Chandler, it, it should be a wrap for Tony in the UFC. I mean, he's he's nearly forty years old and he's fighting like it. Just just pulled up the scorecards from this matchup. Uh, Ron McCarthy gave Tony Ferguson the first round. The other two judges, Derek Cleary and Steve uh, Farrar, gave um, Bobby the first round. Steve actually scored the second round, a 10-8 round for Bobby Green. So Bobby Green was was down on two of the three scorecards and tied on the other, heading to the third round. But it's just it, it was just watching the fight. I was just I, I never thought it, and you know, just the way in. in I understand you, you're gonna have confidence in this game, but like, it, it just when I was hearing the things Tony said leading up to the fight, I'm like, is there anyone in his corner that's not a yes person? Probably not, and we see that a lot with yeah. the fighters, especially the guys who say weird stuff, right? Those dudes who say like have reputations for having weird quotes and stuff, they usually surround themselves with dudes who 
aren't going like that's how you find yourself with Josh Fabia right in your corner. Yeah. Which but, I mean, maybe that's the next step. Oh, good Lord. Good. No, he's at, by the way, Kevin Holland looked great. I don't know if you saw this cup. Uh, Mike Chiesa was on DC and RC like the week of this fight and goes, yeah, you know, I got to watch out for that Darce choke. And then that's the third time in his career. It, it, it comes in. Yeah. That was brutal from Kevin in the post fight. Like he was all lovey dovey with Michael. And he's like, yeah, when he gets in trouble, he makes mistakes or he, he says something. I'm like, man, and he basically Michael's tells like him to right retire. <laughs> like that that to me is this interesting aspect you're michael chiesa you you've been developing this broadcasting career and there's certainly plenty of guys i believe he can beat but i, I like michael chiesa a lot he's just not going to get to title contention i mean let's just be honest yeah. about it yeah, so, yeah. like, I, I, I think yeah. he, I, I wonder, I mean, I think probably as a competitor, he wants to keep going, but I wonder if there are people around him going, and, and who knows how much money he's making in terms of the UFC broadcasting career. But, like, if you are making good money doing that, it's got to be kind of the thought process of, do I, do I continue want to put my body through this wear and tear, or do I just want to be in front of a camera and a microphone talking about the fight game? Well, it certainly hurts a lot less, and... I think if Michael really wants to get that perspective, he's going to have to go and talk to Paul Felder, who retired with fights mm-hmm. left on the table, yeah. and, and see his perspective. And there's no shame in losing to Kevin Hall. And Kevin Hall is a great talent, and he continues to improve. I mean, he he is probably going to find himself back in a top picture at welterweight or middleweight, wherever he goes next. He he's looking really good to me. And again, star potential, great talker. With Michael Chiesa, absolutely, Jason. It, it, he's not going to fight for a welterweight championship in his career. The question is, how much does he love the fights? How much does he love going out there, walking out, and performing and, and, and showing his skills? Because, bro, that's got to be intoxicating. I mean, that's probably why Tony still will be in this game for the next five years, is that moment to fight, even if you aren't going to become champion, is still pretty damn rewarding. When you get a knockout and this whole arena is making noise and chanting your name, mm-hmm. you no one's going to chant your name because you make a great call on the broadcast. All right, no one's going to be like DC, DC. <laughs> you had a hell of a point, bro. You're in the cage and you got the whole crowd cheering for you, and you're half naked and your abs are popping out, and you just knocked out a fool. You can't get that anywhere else in life. So that's why I think it's hard to retire. But without a doubt, the, the door has closed on the idea of Kiesa fighting for that championship. We're talking three losses in a row. And the book's open on the fact that if he gets rocked, he's going to put himself in a choke. Right, now, when we look at these preliminary card, and to me, the things that, that stick out to me, the, the two top things that stick out to me has got to be the knockout by Gabe, or excuse me, the submission by mm-hmm. Gabriel Bomfine, and then the knockout by Roman Kopulov is, I mean, just dead Claudio Ribeiro. I mean, if people did not see that knockout, it's go on TikTok, Instagram, wherever you want to go. That knockout's everywhere. And then, of course, the other thing we, you know, that it sticks out to me about this fight card is, uh, Priscilla Catchware did you know it wasn't until I watched this after the fact of how bad it was she has now tried to poke her opponent's eyes out while getting submitted and now here she's just trying to take off Miranda Maverick's sports bra yeah there's like a clip of her doing that and I kind of missed it in real time and 
It's one of those deals where if that's the first time you ever do something crazy, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt that it was like awkward hand positioning. But when you pair that with what you mentioned earlier, with trying to poke out Jillian Robertson's eye, it's like, all right, I'm sensing a trend here. You're acting like nature boy Ric Flair out here in the, in the <laughs> 1980s traveling across the country doing some illegal tactics to get an advantage. Uh, yeah, Priscilla Cachuera is a very talented fighter, but she is testing karma. And, um, you know, it didn't pay off. I mean, Miranda Maverick beat her and got that submission win, and it was deserved whenever she's out here trying to do stuff like that. But, Jason, like straight up, yes. The two fights you mentioned, I think the third fight to mention is the spinning back fist finish for Uros uh, Medic and a yeah. back and forth Iowa Semmelsberger. But honestly, like you could have given fight of the night to um, Kopilov and Ribeiro, even though it only went basically one round. That first round was baller. Dude, in the first round when Ribeiro's going for a takedown, I'm like, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> like you got this dude rocked up against the fence. Like that's one of those things you know. When him and his coaches went back to Luke's tape, like, dude, what are you doing here? I mean, he had he had Roman Hurd, and then that that head kick. Uh, I mean, dude, dude was out before he hit the mat. Yeah, he was. That was that was viral. That was awesome. Two great head kick knockouts in the card, and then yes, I think um, the other thing that you got to mention is, is, as you said, Gabriel Bonfim. You watch this dude fight, Jason. Looks like a looks like a like a blue chipper. Right? Like, he looks like he's going to fight for that welterweight championship at some point in his career. He looks that good. There's just a different way. Some dudes, some women go out there and they fight. And it's just like they already know all the answers for their next five opponents. They just need to get there. And that's what it was like with Gabriel Bonfin against Giles. He knew how to get there. He got there. And it was like, all right, let's move on. Let's do the next one. So, I don't know if you uh, you saw this. Uh, did you see what the gate was for this pay-per-view? What was it? $6.5 million. When they came to Salt Lake City a year ago, the gate was $4.2 million. A single year? Yeah. Wow. What was the, what's the difference in crowd size? Uh, the attendance was 18321 Um Previously, so they, this one was they, 18467 18, So you're only talking, what, 150 more tickets? So is that just ticket prices just went way up? Dude, yeah, I know. I, uh, we, we've talked about this. Like, it's, it's tough for the common fan, you know? I mean, it, it's just tough for the common fan to be able to afford to go to UFC. I mean, it's – and I mean, look, they can get the ticket. They, they can sell these tickets. It's just I, I personally feel bad for – you know, I mean, look, let's just be honest about it. You know, a good portion of, of our country lives paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, like if you're, you know, like like just say you're a dad and you got a, a 15-year-old kid, who, let's just say he's a wrestler who loves mixed martial arts. I mean, you're 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 dropping probably $1,000 for two tickets, and that's probably upper-level tickets. I think, honestly, you have a choice. You had a choice this past weekend if you lived in Utah, <laughs> right? You're if you were Mitt Romney's child, you're just chilling at the house, and you're like, do I want to go and buy a UFC ticket? Or with the exact same amount of money, do I want to buy a ticket to Japan and watch the Ryzen show in Bellator? And it's like, you could make that choice, Jason. It, co- it probably costs just about the same to go to the land of the rising sun as it does to go in your backyard and check out a pay-per-view. 
Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> trust me, I'm the person over here that's going, how much am I willing to spend to go see FSU LSU on a Sunday night of Labor Day weekend? Yeah, but that's different. That's FSU LSU. All right, bro. That is a party. You're spending money to go to a party. You're spending money to go watch your alma mater. I mean, that is, that's worth it. All right. I, I, yeah. <laughs> okay. It, it's one of these things where, I just want to take a message right now because I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. Um, the cheapest ticket to get in now, now look, Camping World Stadium is only like a 40,000 seat stadium. So, you know, LSU fans travel, FSU fans travel. Uh, actually, not bad right now. The cheap ticket is 191. Of course, you're up in the rafters, you know. That's a lot of money for a cheap ticket, though. Like, okay. You if like- you, you, you want to sit on the 50 yard line? Sure. $780. Honestly, that's way too much money for a fucking for a football game. Okay, seven hundred dollars for a football game? Are you kidding me? I was thinking we're talking like two fifty. Seven hundred dollars is too much, bro. Dude, dude, that yeah. Is, if I, if, yeah, if I got much. offered lower level tickets for two fifty a pop, oh, a credit card's going down immediately, immediately. Yeah, yeah, dude. Those ticket prices. And I know, I'm sure I know it's across the board, right? It's got to be across the board, across like all entertainment. I bet a lot of these big superstar acts are charging a lot of money. And the thing is, they're selling the tickets. So, yeah, if they, if they weren't selling the tickets, the prices would go down. I believe that's how economics works. All right. So uh, yeah. I just I pulled up UFC 292. The cheap ticket on Ticketmaster right now. Four hundred and four dollars. Wow, that's the cheap ticket. That is the cheap ticket in. Uh, it says uh, it, so. You're sitting in section three twelve, row fifteen. Let's we'll see how far. Uh, so literally, row fifteen is the last row in the section. So if I wanted to go to UFC two ninety two, I would need to spend basically five hundred dollars. A ticket. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because God knows after what the fees are. You, you know, uh, let me see here. I know you. Uh, let's see here. You, that is uh, crazy. Show, uh, show prices with fees. All right, that ticket after fees four hundred ninety-one dollars and eighty-seven cents. Jason, just to get it, that's that's just getting you in the building, bro. Let me ask you this question. All right. Are are there dudes still in the UFC making ten and ten? Uh, I think it's more twelve and twelve. Twelve and twelve. Really? I know. I know huge. Di- I know huge difference. I know. <laughs> Let's say twelve thousand dollars to show. Realistically, how many tickets do you think they're going to sell in Boston? Uh, it'll be. It'll be. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of t- uh, tickets available. Let me. I mean, I'm. Pretty, let me see here. I'm. Uh, let me turn off the official uh, verified resale. All right. So. <laughs> so there's only three. Four, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There's thirteen sections available that are not resale tickets. Um, six of those sections are, are upper levels. That cheap ticket is five hundred and sixty dollars. Now that is section three hundred two. So you're essentially you got a straight on shot. I mean, like to me, and, and I say this, like the best seats to watch the UFC is first level, halfway up. To me, that those are the best seats. And like I'm looking at one section here. Oof, $867. But this is what I'm getting at, dude. 
this dude's making 12 and 12. It only takes about 24 tickets to pay off that $1,200. Look at that percentage increase from Utah to Utah. Four some million to six some million gate. Did we see that percentage increase in fighter pay? Hell no. To, Bro, I mean, yeah. I, it takes it takes it takes twenty four tickets to pay off a lower level UFC fighter, and they're selling like um, several thousand tickets. And and that's I mean UFC is screwing over the fighters so bad. Holy crap! I mean, look, it's it's just one of those things that I, I you know we we've talked about a lot here. It's just it's 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 expensive. I mean, I remember when the UFC did the pay review in Miami. I was just like, I know, man, I'm not going to sit there, drive the four hours down to Miami, get a hotel and pay as much. I mean, now, now looking at the fight night card here in national Cove this weekend, you can get in the building for 160 bucks. That's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, that really isn't. I mean, you would want a, a cheaper ticket to be cheaper for a fight night, but realistically 160 bucks for a UFC event. That's something I would feel okay with. In terms of buying a pretty crap seat, yeah, I mean, you're, I mean, you're sitting in the rafters, but we'll we'll talk about UFC National in a little bit. By the way, um, for people who don't follow Mike Kogan on Twitter or on Instagram, he has some amazing Instagram photos of just the scene there in Saitama of just that arena. But I just look at we all know what's going on with Bellator right now. I just feel like we're watching the funeral of Bellator. Well, it was a fitting result, if it was, to have basically the greatest fighter in Bellator history get upset on the prelims. Not the prelims, because it wasn't the prelims. It was on the rising card. Yeah, Yeah, the rising card, which is – it was basically like the main event before intermission. But uh, for Patricia Pitbull to get knocked out by Chihiro Suzuki, who's a very good fighter himself and has had a lot of success. And, you know, realistically, he's just – he's a bigger dude than than Patricio. But – that is kind of like the perfect encapsulation of the Bellator funeral vibe is the greatest fighter in the promotion's history got upset in a massive fashion in Japan. Yeah, I mean, I was when I was doing my Bellator rankings yesterday and I was doing the pound for pound rankings, I'm like, God, what do I do with Patricio Pitbull? Like, and I moved them down, I think, one spot. Uh, put AJ McKee and you know unfortunately AJ McKee doesn't make it the fight night due uh, to to the medical issue that he had and you know Patricky Pitbull getting that third round victory and you know of course we have the inaugural flyweight title fight that ends in no contest twenty five seconds to an accidental eye poke but it's just I thought there would have been more of a buzz for Bellator um, and I mean it looked like it was a great event in in Japan but I just. I feel like we we all know what's about to come, and and that at some point, whether it, they're bought by the PFL or they're bought by someone else, that this era of Bellator is fastly approaching. Yeah, I just think there wasn't a lot of oxygen in the room for this one. For one, it happened international, so the hours were off. But for two, Crawford and Spence and the UFC 291 got all of the oxygen in the combat sports world this weekend. I mean, there's only so much attention that yeah. – the water cooler discussion has right we're getting just a cup of water at the water cooler we're not filling up you know and a big old bucket so we're not going to be able to get to bellator and it's a shame because like straight up this was a star-studded card jason again you literally had one of the best upsets of the year 
there will not be that many more shockers than watching Patricio Pitbull get finished by Suzuki. And by the way, this wasn't like Suzuki caught up. This was like Suzuki was literally getting after this dude and Patricio was backing up and backing up and backing up and then boom, he was put away. But bro, look at this card. This was Bellator's best. We saw Horiguchi, Petruki, Koreshkov, Larkin. We saw Archuleta and Sabatello and Musaya and Magomed Magomedov. This was a stacked freaking card. In fact, this was probably the most stacked card Bellator has put on in a very, very long time in the Scott Coker era. Maybe one of those cards that had several tournament matchups was more stacked, but this was a stacked card, Jason. And it was definitely something that very few people talked about, but it's like, damn, you know, you had Patricky Pitbull come out here being the rising lightweight champion. You had Ryzen beating the Bellator lightweight champion. I think they got to do Suzuki and uh, Patricky the next time they go back to Ryzen. But obviously, the next time they go back to Ryzen, Bellator probably will have different owners. I, someone brought this up to me the other day. Does the Bellator lightweight Grand Prix actually conclude? Probably not. All, all I got to say is I've said this. Before, I said this to you before the podcast. Right now, Bellator has basically got fight cards up until Bellator 299. For the love of God, goodness gracious, my OCD cannot handle a promotion ending at 299. Finish at 300. Do one more event. If Bellator is sold, please do Bellator 300. Finish the lightweight Grand Prix there. Do something. But no, I don't think the lightweight tournament wraps up. I mean, who knows? But probably not. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem like in August they're just going to announce that the PFL bought Bellator. But uh, if the PFL does buy Bellator, please, 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 please do a Bellator 300 card that just is like, um, it'd be kind of beautiful to do a 300 card and just kind of like stack it with all the best fights they could possibly do with Bellator fighters and make it a remembrance of Bellator. A celebration of the promotion because the promotion's been around a very long time. I mean, when the promotion started, I was in high school and I was looking up results on the first season of the tournament of this weird promotion called Bellator. This dude named Jorge Masvidal and this guy <laughs> named Toby Amata throwing on inverted triangle chokes. Craziness. Yeah, it's uh. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, like, you know, someone was asking me over on Instagram about kind of, you know, what, what do I see as the, the future of Bellator, you know? And I said, unfortunately, I just, I get the feeling that if this PFL acquisition happens, that there's going to be a lot of people who work for Bellator that'll be on the unemployment line. But PFL should be bringing those people in because they have they have a skill set that can really help out the PFL grow. And you know, I mean, look, we talked about you know what a week, two weeks ago. The PFL needs to buy Bellator. They need that talent acquisition because Bellator's roster is just a deep roster. But I, I think at the end of the day, what has killed Bellator over the past couple of years is just the inability for a lot of people to be able to check out the product. An example of that was on Saturday night. 
I'm sitting at a bar. How am I watching Bellator? I've got my iPhone sitting in front of me on the Paramount Plus app watching Showtime via that way. And, and yeah, I, mean, I, I think that's one of the biggest things is that you see accessibility you got to have for people to be able to check out your product. And the only reason I have Showtime is to watch Bellator. There's no other reason I have it. Yeah, that's a dying premium brand it is. And I mean, straight up, more eyeballs are going to be on PFL 7 than this Bellator card. And, and the Bellator card had much better fights, even though it's playoff time for the PFL. And it's all about the fact that where PFL is going to be broadcasted versus where Bellator is broadcasted. Just people who didn't flip the channel are going to be there watching PFL. It, it's It's rare that you get people who forget to flip the channel from Showtime because they never were there in the first plot, first place. Yeah, I just, it, it's unfortunate. I mean, like, look, it's, it's a PFL. The smart decision would be is if Scott Coker wants to continue running a mixed martial arts promotion, that you bring him in in some capacity. I mean, it, it, the one knock I would put on Scott Coker is just he's just not out there promoting the product like you, you see other promoters go out there and promote their product. I mean, that, that would be my only – that's my only criticism I have of Scott is just you, you got to put yourself out there more in promoting these fighters because – I mean, even the cool if you're thing a hard- is, though, the PFL has those guys, though, right? Like the PFL has the faces that can go promote the fighters, and Scott can worry about the infrastructure of the promotion if he gets brought in. I, but I'll say this, right? For me, as a someone who interviews people in this industry, if you sit there and say, hey, we're going to bring on this head of the PFL to talk about the upcoming fights, I'm sorry. I don't want to talk to Don Davis or Peter Murray. What, what are they going to tell me about the fighters? Now, from a sports business aspect, okay, cool. Yeah, they, they bring a lot to the table. But, like, you got to have people who understand this. And, like, that's why, like, I'll say this for the PFL. Your smart move is if you acquire Bellator, the two guys running the fight aspect of the promotion is Scott Coker and Mike Kogan. That's what you should be doing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The, the, that is something that's lacking in PFL. And that's something that was successful in Bellator. And if you bring it in, you know, if you're acquiring Bellator, you want to acquire all these things that are going to make your promotion superior. And, and that's that's an aspect that is undeniable. And, and I'm not saying this because I have an excellent relationship with the Bellator PR staff. You bring those people in too. Because they've been around this game for a long goddamn time. We're talking about going back to strike force days. World Series of Fighting Days. They have people on that staff that have been in the MMA media. Those are, I mean, and obviously PFL has someone who's worked in MMA media for a long time as well, but if you're going to do this, there's a right way to do that if your mindset is we're trying to make a run and trying to take a piece of the UFC pie and give us a bigger market share. I mean, yeah, they're spending a lot of money if they do acquire Bellator to acquire Bellator. So it's worth getting every ounce of value you can get. And outside of the talent on the, on the fighters, there's plenty more value in Bellator for PFL to acquire, to utilize, to use, to help strengthen themselves. And, and look, I'll give, know, PFL maybe, a lot, maybe, I, I give PFL a lot of credit for bringing in USADA because, oof, 
it's gonna be a Seattle's I mean, play look, look at look at look at the look at the playoffs, bro. Look at the playoffs. I mean, we got we got five seeds in there. Not that not that that's the reason why we have a five seed in there. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you, you know, but, you, here's the thing I know. So when I was putting together, you know, the results from this past weekend and and the the fights this weekend, I'm, and this PFL card. If you go to the PFL website, you can't even see the standings from the season anymore. Yeah, it's just it's it's a big mess, man. It, it, it was a big mess this year. I mean, like, look, I, I love the fight game. This fight card on Friday night, does it get me excited? No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not a good playoffs. I'll be watching. Hopefully, the semifinal matchups can sell me on the finals. You know, but yes, bro, look at these fights. Main event: Bubba Jenkins, Jesus Pinedo. The other, the other featherweight matchup: Gabriel Braga and Chris Wade. The light heavyweight matchups: Josh Silvera versus Ty Flores. Martin Hamlet versus Ipa Kasagane. It's not a good fight card. I'm not excited for it. You know, I think the biggest potential is maybe Josh Silvera really blossoms in this tournament. And now moving forward, that's an interesting light heavyweight on their roster. But by and large, I, I think you look at this these semifinals and it's hard to get excited. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of these things of, like, a guy like Josh Silvera, and God bless him for this, man. If he's in the UFC right now, he's making, what, 15 and 15? He's two fights away from winning a million bucks. That's amazing. That is awesome. I mean, you got to love it. You got to love it for him. And, uh, and I, again, I think he's the guy you got to look at as, oh, he could he could really have a hell of a 2023 at the end of this year, I, bro. I will say, in terms of the non-tournament fights, I, I find it very interesting that, uh, they have Keone Diggs fighting at lightweight when essentially he was released by Bellator because he could no longer make 155 pounds. So that ought to be interesting. Uh, you have it, uh, the preliminary card for the most part is full of fighters who were a part of the Challenger Series beginning this year, getting getting an opportunity here in the PFL. But that's on Friday. And then, of course, on Saturday, we got UFC Nashville, Corey Sandhagen, Rob Font. Of course, Rob Font set up here in about, uh, I guess, what, two? Two and a half weeks notice. Uh, replacing Nermaga Madoff against Corey Sanhagen. This will be 140 pounds. we got Tatiana Suarez versus Jessica Andrade. When I first started looking at this fight card on Monday, my first thought was like, holy shit. Tatiana Suarez is a 4-1 to one betting favorite against Jessica Andrade. I was like, holy shit. I would be very tempted to put money on Andrade in that situation. Like... I mean, I, she she could get wrestle fucked. Yes. Also, she looked very bad defensively on the feet against Jan in her last fight, and then also against Blanchfield too. Right, Blanchfield went and outstruck her. Uh, but the difference is like, Andrade should not be that big of a dog because we've seen like we've seen her fight at the highest of high levels, dude. We've seen her go out there and just wreck people, but. But, 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 but the people setting the odds aren't stupid. They, they know what the hell they're doing. They're yeah, pretty no. rich, right? They set their eyes and then they go back and they drive back home in their Lamborghini. So uh, that's telling me that obviously Suarez is on the upward swing, Andrade on the downward swing, and the downward swing is probably going to involve her on her back and with it, a Suarez it, wrestling. 
it's crazy because I, I just went to Best Buy odds just to see where this uh, line opened up. It opened up at minus four fifty for Suarez over on uh, DraftKings Sportsbook. She's now minus four twenty five. I mean, the best odds you get uh, is minus three fifty over at BetMGM. I mean, yeah, if Andrade can keep it on the feet, I think it does make it kind of interesting here. Um, another thought I had about this UFC National card is is the fight card lineup. Really shocked the matchup between Bill Corantillo and Damon Jackson's on the prelims. Because I yeah. think that's, that's as I look at this fight card, I just think, obviously, super important fights in the main event and co-main event in terms of their place in, in those divisions. But, like, I think about, like, just as a, a combat sports fan of a fight that I go, that's going to be a fun fight. I don't know how Billy and Damon, like, if you said, if you – Lay money on someone to win five the night that's not the main event. Damon Jackson, Billy Corntilla would be my pick to win five the night. Well, it's certainly the odds on favorite. It, it certainly I, is. And maybe it's just one of those deals where they really value the headliner on the prelims and they say this is supposed to be an important fight. But I agree with you. I think Jackson and Billy Q is probably the third best fight on this fight card. Um, and it's weird that it's on the prelims. It's, and it's, think, not, it's not even the prelim headliner. The prelim headliner not, is Kyler Phillips and Hani Barcelos. Well, then I'm just out to lunch. I don't know. I was looking at the Wikipedia, and it was the last fight there. Yeah, you got, uh, you got, you, you, you got, to, you got to go over to ESPN and make. I will <laughs> never give up on Wikipedia. <laughs> All right, you know, I will never give up to Wikipedia. Um, also, like, sign me up for watching Diego Lopez fight again. You know, yeah, he came out there last time. He was a massive underdog late replacement and he went out there and and he he earned a lot of fans and he showed why he's you know uh, the striking coach for Aldania when he when he took on Evlip at UFC 288 and uh, he gets in there against Gavin Tucker against a fighter that's maybe more his skill level so we're going to see what Lopez has to offer and I'm certainly excited for it so by the way speaking of Damon Jackson I had an interview with him probably about uh, I guess about two two and a half weeks ago it's on the, on the YouTube channel. People can check it out. I thought it was kind of an a, a interesting interview. I mean, A, the fact of after that loss against Dan Ige, he took two months off, had an injury going into it where he mentioned, you know, just he couldn't wrestle throughout that training camp. and But was also interesting, and I, and I brought the point, I said, I go, hey, when this fight gets offered to you, is one of the thoughts of, oof, I got a high probability of 50K here. Because the one thing about Billy, Billy's going to continue to come forward. How does Billy bounce back from the Edson Barbosa knockout loss? Does he come out a little bit different? So to me, that's that's a fun matchup here. Um, you know, I, I look at uh, Bob Mondays and Luvenet Klein. I think is another interesting matchup. You mentioned about Diego Lopez. I think that's another one. Uh, and Jekyll and Jacoby, I would imagine, will, will probably be a fight that plays out on the feet. That that's kind of fun with it. This is it, it's. It's a fight card that I look at. There's several fights on the card. I'm going, you know what, stylistically, this could be a really fun card. Uh, I, I won't be able to watch this one live. I guess I got something else going on on Saturday night. But, yeah, uh, but yeah man, I, I, I think this has a, a chance to really be a fun fight card. Yeah, anytime the UFC runs a fight night outside of the Apex, you know it's going to be a lot better. You know the fights are going to be good, and it's going to feature relevant fighters. And, and, and that's kind of what we got here. It's not an A++ card, but... It's something I'm certainly looking forward to. Uh, Zachuku and Jacoby is also a really good fight. But, yeah, overall, I'm excited. Sanhagen and Rob Font is one hell of a freaking main event. These are two of the most exciting guys at 135, and according to Wikipedia, they're going to fight at 140. 
Yes, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a 140 catch weight. Yeah, I think I like seeing Hagen to beat Font here, largely due to the fact that he's had that full time to prepare, and at the highest level when it's close, that's a major factor in my mind. We, we, we've seen this past week what it's like to take a fight on short notice, and it can end poorly. But overall, I think Ralph Fountain wakes up out of bed. He's ready to step up in that cage and fight a fight a killer, and he'll perform well. He's that damn good. But so Sanhagen. And you look at Rob Fawn. I mean, he was supposed to be on that Boston card. Of course, he, he lives up there in Boston. But to take this opportunity, and obviously, I'm sure there was a, a nice little bump up in pay for him to take this matchup here. But, um, I, you know, it's it's a fight that I would expect at this point on the feet. But I do favor Corey Sanhagen in it. Um, you know, even though I mentioned about the betting odds in the co-main event surprised me, I, I think you still got to pick Tatiana Suarez to go in there. Obviously, we, we know what she can do with her wrestling abilities, but it, it should be overall a, a very good fight card on Saturday. UFC Nashville, of course, over there on ESPN. So you can check that out over there. I'll be, I'll be watching that one. Uh, after the fact, I'm, I'm going to, you know me, I'm not a country guy, but I'm going to a country concert on Saturday night. So, uh, should be interesting, man. Who are you going to go see? It is uh George Strait and, uh, Chris Stapleton. That is pretty freaking awesome, man. I, I think even if you're not, you're going to enjoy that genre. I mean, that's the legend. That is the King King George, bro. Well, I mean, you know, look, I'll have a fun time. Don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have a fun time. Yeah, I, I, I've said this, like, dude, when I, when I worked in terrestrial radio, one of the stations I worked for was a country uh, station. And mm-hmm. I remember, like, the first time I worked a country concert, and they're like, yeah, we got to get there, like, two o'clock in the afternoon set up. I go dude, the concert's like at eight o'clock. They go, yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and I quickly realized country music fans, they treated going to a concert, like going to a football game. Tailgating. They're just, <laughs> yeah, I believe it's the same group of people, man. It's the same group of people. And this is any opportunity to have a good time on a weekend. They're going to get after it. And I appreciate it. So I right, maybe go and tailgate a little bit, bro. High probability. <laughs> High probability of some daddy sodas being consumed. So we, uh, you mentioned earlier the show, you got you got a match this weekend? Yeah, sir, Laredo. And then the following week, it's crazy. The following week, um, three shows in, in the week, man. I got a Wednesday show, a Saturday show, and a Sunday. But this one, just Saturday in Laredo, brother. And then I did my birthday on Sunday. So uh, I'll probably turn 28 as I'm driving back home. So I'll be, yeah. That's, that'll be the deal, man. So any big uh, plans for the birthday? Just eating with the family. Keep it simple. I've been doing that for years. And um, So uh, yeah, is, there, is there a go-to birthday meal? Uh, usually chicken wings, but usually we'll go eat somewhere nice. And yeah. I had chicken wings yesterday, so... And and now they're starting to come up, and they they want to they want to come back out, but uh, uh, I I I think it's gonna be more like a classic like nice meal versus like um, my uh, my favorite, which we all know what that is, and and uh, yeah, it's, it's on a Sunday too, so I'm gonna try and avoid eating chicken wings on a Sunday because like I gotta work on Monday, and uh, I, I'm gonna need some time in the uh, you know. I'm going to need some time in the morning to get ready after I eat some chicken wings, right? Uh, I, 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 yeah. I had some good chicken wings but, on Saturday night. Hey, man. Speaking of chicken wings, that's got me thinking. It's football season, bro. Next time we talk, there will already be a football game played. 
in our Hall of Fame game, <laughs> yeah. so that's in quotation. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ne- next Monday is called game week for me. <laughs> <laughs> the football season's here. It's it's here, man. Dude, uh, I, I I'm optimistic, man. I'm optimistic about the Texans. I think we're gonna have a big year. Look, this is. It doesn't matter what fan base you talk to. Everyone's going to be optimistic. Yeah, that's true. And then the season starts, and then, yeah, then we're (laughs) (sighs) 0-7. But, you know, week one, you know, week one, uh, we'll see what happens. I don't even know who we're playing, but hopefully C.J. Stroud's halfway decent. And, uh, yeah, John Meshie's back. we We go to a Minneapolis week one. That's where we'll be. Damn. Yeah, I'm, um, Man, that's gonna be cool, bro. I, Minneapolis is a very, to me, is a very underrated city. I, I've always yeah. had a good time in Minneapolis. I, I think it's it's a great city to be too. I'm, I'm, um, I don't think we're gonna get there in time to catch the Twins game, but I've seen a Twins game there. It's pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I always love like you know, you know the. the that's one of the great things about doing what I do and, and being able to travel is it's to see kind of some of these things. And, you know, especially early on in the season, if you can get to a, a place where, you know, baseball's still going on, I'm like, you know, I mentioned about it last week, you know, I'm going to Yankees and, and Red Sox here in oh, what, three weeks? Yeah. Well, uh, three weeks. I, I'm looking for, I, I'm more just looking to go into Yankee stadium more than anything else. I, I'm not a fan of either one of the teams, but I just think it's gonna be cool to go to the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's also going to be cool just to watch them play, but yeah, just to see the stadium, see the history, eat the concessions, uh, it'd be super cool. And, you know, it gives you an opportunity maybe one day to go to every single ballpark. Yeah. Um, in the NFL, there's only one stadium I haven't been to. That would guess. be Las Vegas. It has to be. In, I was going to say, it has to be a new, a new one. Uh, yeah. Cause <laughs> we, we, we played in Vegas uh, in 2020, but that was a year that we weren't traveling because of the COVID restrictions. Well, I just realized the Texans opened the season in Baltimore, so it's a loss. It's a loss. <laughs> wow. Your optimism went really good to just in the gutter within like two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Probably got Davis Mills going up against Lamar Jackson. I am not looking forward to that. They have a name, see Josh Alistair? Ah, They haven't. I don't believe so. I'm going to do a quick Google. I mean, the camp is going on. I'm sure, I mean, they probably will, but they uh, they have it. Number, two, yeah, it's a Q, it's a QB battle according to Google. Yeah, I feel like they're probably going to start. They, they're probably going to start Davis Mills until we lose like three games and then put Stroud in. It's not a bad strategy. Yeah, I, I think it's a very safe bet to say CJ Stroud is starting at some point this year. I think it's a pretty yeah, safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, again, you look at Baltimore. It's like you really want to start them off against Baltimore. Uh, maybe maybe they'll let Davis start and then have him come in against like Tennessee or somebody. We'll see. We'll see. It it's, don't it's, matter. It, it, it's it, it's you know it's, it's funny. Me and my buddy Chris were out the other day and, and we're we're watching you know, we're at the bar or we're, we're just, I was like you know it's a really slow sports time of the year when we're watching lacrosse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or cornhole or the world's fastest dog competition. Which which is a real thing I saw on my TV guide on ESPN this past no. weekend. You're yeah, screwing with me. Like that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch it. I probably should have, but it was like world's fastest dog uh, competition. I don't know what the hell it was about. 
It was called AKC Fastest Dogs USA. So I don't know what that means. But, um, yeah, maybe they had, like, the Usain Bolt of uh, dogs out there. I don't know who else is a famous runner. That's that's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's that it's that you know because I like I'm not huge on on baseball. I'm just not. I'm not. I'm, you know, I I I, I, I like going to games and you know hanging with you know, your friends, but you know sitting at home on a Wednesday night watching a baseball game not really uh, not really on my agenda. No, no, no not at all. It's uh, it's very 1950s of you. You know, you know? It's a 1950s activity. Yeah, but it's that time of year when I'm I'm not researching in May. I'm I'm researching what's going on in the NFL because it's that time of the year. Yeah, bro, it'll be good. It'll be good to get. Uh, you know, we're gonna have so many weeks for, of straight football. You know, for twenty some weeks, whether it be high school, college, NFL. I love yeah, it. It was I like a, it. you know, well, I saw this meme, and it was like this was like a meme like two weeks ago. Like this is the last month with no football till March, and it's just somebody's arm and their uh, arm hair sticking up. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm actually gonna start crying. <laughs> I'm start crying. Oh, no, no, that, that's feeling, you thinking yeah. about how Texas A&M season could go. No, yeah, I'm gonna cry tears of joy as we're watching the national championship, buddy. Winning that national championship with Jimbo. Yeah, I don't know about that one. You you keep feeling that way. You never know, man. Usually the way it works at Texas A&M is whenever they have expectations, they suck. And whenever they don't, they surprise you. So I kind of feel like we might surprise people this year. Yeah, look, if no one has seen how Lane Kiffin showed up the SEC media days looking like you just went on a drunk bender the night before, you got to check out those photos. Yeah, I heard it was a bad look. I heard that he looked all right, but those pictures made him look awful. Dude, he but looked like he he literally looked like he had just woken up and it was a long night. Yeah, I think you show me those pictures and yeah, I agree. Well, you know, we'll we'll see how this season goes. I'm excited for college football too, man. I mean, who knows how many more years we have college football the way it is? But uh, I'm Dude, I, I will tell you. If people have never seen a college football game on a college football campus, it is a – it's so different. It, it, it's an experience. Yeah. Yeah, it is, man. It is. And especially for – you could go across the board with so many different schools, and it's going to be amazing regardless. You know, even schools you wouldn't think of. If it's on campus, uh, you're going to have a bunch of kids in their 20s having a good time and a bunch of, you know, older people too – alumni a bunch of little kids family it's it's awesome it's absolutely fantastic yeah like there's certain stadiums i would love to see a game at some point Mm -hmm. like oh yeah so many clemson lsu virginia tech like i've always said like i would love to see an lsu night game in baton rouge that's like a one-one first overall pick in terms of like types of places where you want to see. I mean, that's number one. I mean, that's that's very very high up there. That is fantastic. You can't go wrong with that. Death Valley? Are you kidding me? At night, SEC game, big time SEC game. Penn State uh, when they do their whiteout, that's another one that would kind of be up there. I've always thought yeah. one thing, and I don't know how many people would think this one. Boise State for some reason that's the one I would with the Smurf turf. Oh, yeah, beautiful turf. Beautiful turf. I, I like it. Um, I know somebody does purple. I wonder if that's James Madison does the purple turf. Somebody does purple turf sometimes. I'm not sure. Uh, 
it is it is the the Bears, UCA, whatever school that is, University of Central Arkansas. Okay, all right. I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, anyways, yeah, Smurf turf. Uh, count, count me in for that. Uh, in terms of Pac-12 or whichever teams are still in the Pac-12, I mean Rose Bowl. I'm sure those seats suck. I'm sure they're hard and they don't feel good, but the history is the history, and I would yeah. love to see a USC Rose Bowl game. That's why I always say, man. When I start, when I started working um, for the Bucks broadcast, one of my it was I got to go to Green Bay. We go to Green Bay in December this year. Start buying your jackets now, my man. Start <laughs> buying your jackets now. Yeah. I, look, I'm in the booth, and the windows don't open. Oh man, yeah, uh, no doubt about it. Those windows are not opening, bro. I, I still, I'll never forget the first time we went to Green Bay. I did, at least. It was the first day of hunting season. Uh-huh. And my buddy Kev goes, Jay, you got to come look in the parking lot. And there was a dead deer on top of a car. They couldn't even bring it home. They had to go to the football game. One of the half, the, half, the, half, the audience, half the crowd was in camouflage. It, it's, Green Bay is... It's such a unique experience. It's it's so unlike any other NFL stadium. Yeah, and it, it's a, and it's a old school stadium. Lambo, yeah, uh, that's one I gotta go to, man. That's that's a bucket list if you're an NFL fan. No doubt about it. But, uh, of course, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, new episodes come out every uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, of course, I uh, do got some fire interviews. You can look for those that are coming up. Of course, I mentioned Damon Jackson. Spoke to him. Also spoke to uh, Scotty Stockman, who is a uh, prospect out of Oregon, someone to pay attention to. Of course, he had been uh, had a fight in the PFL. Uh, also uh, did interviews with Austin Hubbard, who uh, that interview will be coming up here on the YouTube channel this week. Of course, he is going to be a finalist in the Alton Fire. Did not exactly have a very uh, fun fight against Roosevelt Roberts, but he did get the win there. Also, I talked to uh, Max Quinones, who is a prospect here in the Tampa Bay area, 4-0 in his career. Has now got a win, uh, you know, and all his wins in CFFC. Also, uh, spoke to Jeff Creighton, who headlines Uriah Favor show coming up this week, so you can be sure to check out that uh, right here on the YouTube channel. So let's go wrap it up for this edition of the MMA Report podcast, which you can listen to on your favorite podcasting platforms at RadioInfluence.com. 